You're listening to the podcast of Sojourn Church, Carlisle. For the next three weeks, our sermon series will engage with our church's view of missionality. To be on mission with God is to follow after God's heart, to seek that which is lost, and to redeem that which has been forsaken. We'll explore this value by looking at one of these verses each week, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and the Great Concern. At Sojourn Carlisle, it's our desire to be on mission with God here in South Louisville and beyond by learning how to love God completely, to love Jesus conscientiously, and to love our neighbor compassionately. Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, my name is James Fields, and I have the great joy and privilege of serving as a lead pastor um, here at Sojourn Church Carlisle, which I believe is the greatest church in the city of Louisville, by God's grace. Um, We'll continue um, our Church on the Lawn series inside uh, because of the weather, Um, but we'll continue to look at uh, this final week exploring our core value of missionality by looking at Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. So if you're able to stand with me, would you please stand and Reverence and honor of God's word as we read God's word together. Again, it's Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. Bibles can be found in front of you in the pews in the back. And uh, if you want, you can feel free to follow along behind me. Hear the word of Christ read over us this morning. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will, be se- and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd, shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger And you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40. And the Lord and the king will answer him, answer them, excuse me. Truly, I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, this week, during our weekly staff meeting, I decided to switch things up a little bit, and I decided to play a little game before we got into all the business and agendas that need to be taken care of. And we played this game called Say More. Anybody know that game? Not really, okay. It's essentially a conversation starter to help build relationships. There's a stack of about 150 to 200 cards, and essentially what you do is I had each person randomly select three cards, and then I gave them the opportunity to ask anyone around the table any one of their three questions. Now, the following question was asked to me during our staff meeting. What do you want God to say to you when you first meet him? 
what do you want God to say to you when you first meet him? Now, this question left me dumbfounded, and I immediately went into silence. You see, my first response was to say, well, well done, good and faithful servant. But I thought that would be too easy, um, and I wanted to challenge myself to come up with something original, something that was unique. This is my Indiogram 4 coming out at this moment. So after taking so much needed time for contemplation, I said, well, I would love the Lord to say to me when he finally meets me in heaven, well, it's about time. (laughs) I wanted him to say that to me because I hopefully, by God's grace, will be able to live a long and fruitful life while here on earth, something that honestly has evaded many others in my family who died, um, died at a very young age. Have you ever considered this question before? What do you want God to say to you when you first meet him? While this question is an important one to consider, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40, reminds us of the somber yet holy reality that God is our final judge. And not only that, but his judgment is for eternity. Last week, I asked the question, are you living your life as if your neighbor matters to God? This week, I invite you to consider this question. Are you living your life in light of God's coming judgment? Are you living your life in light of God's coming judgment? Will you pray with me? Our Father, my God, we thank you that you give us this time to learn and glean from your word. May we be more like Christ as a result of our time together. Holy Spirit, I, as always, ask that you take the little I have and make much of it. Glorify yourself as only you can. Hide me behind your cross and allow some mind to be transformed. Let some soul be saved for the advancement of your kingdom. God, we don't preach self, we preach Christ. So may he be exalted in everything that we do, we say, and we think. Give us eyes and ears to both hear and understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, I'm a firm believer that our view of God determines our pursuit of God. In other words, how we view God often determines if he's worth our time, if he's worth our treasure, and if he's worth our talents. So let me ask you, this morning, right now, how do you view God? Do you view him as being uninterested or maybe even uninvolved within your daily life? He's too busy with the cosmic things of the universe that the laundry that you are frustrated with or the bank account that you're having trouble balancing doesn't really matter to him. Do you view him as being an old man? Maybe an old man in a rocking chair who is limitless and powerless to do anything except hear your cries and your pleas, but he is not powerful enough to do anything about him. Or maybe you view God as being ignorant. Maybe you see God as not knowing how to respond to the pain and the suffering that you constantly endure each and every day. Remember, church, our view of God, how we see God, determines our pursuit of him. So how do you view God? You know, there are many misconceptions about God. The first one that I would like to bring to our attention is this, is that God is soft. 
In other words, that God simply won't discipline us. He's a, he's a parent who allows his children to do anything and everything and never corrects them. He's a God who allows suffering and injustice within our world because he's not able to do anything about it. Do you view God this way? You know, David actually wrote about this in Psalm 10. He wrote about the frustrations that he saw in the world in Psalms 10, verses 3 and 4. Listen to the word of David, the word of Christ through David when he writes these things. He says, For the wicked one boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. In all his scheming, the wicked person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since there is no God. You hear that, what David is saying? He's saying that the wicked person believes that they can do whatever they want because God simply won't respond. You see, but this is not how the scriptures speak of our God. Listen to Psalm 147, verse 5, where the psalmist describes God in this way. He says, our God is great, vast in power, and his understanding is infinite. Not only do we see God as soft, but we also see God in another way. We see God as our cosmic Santa Claus, if you will. Meaning that God is at our beck and call. And he's only in our lives to bless us with good things. And as we obey him, he'll bless us with even more good things. You see, this is also another wrong way to view our God. Because our God says, uh, David writes of God in Psalm 24 this way. He says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. Psalm 51 verse 1 states of God in this way. It says, if I were hungry, this is God speaking, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. For the world and everything in it is mine, says the Lord. You see, the final misconception of, of how to see God, not just as God being soft or not just as God being our cosmic Santa Claus, the final misconception to under, of, of a misunderstanding of who God is, is what our text addresses today. This is the misconception that falsely concludes that religion is the same as relationship. In other words, some people think that if they partake in religious activity, if they just do the right things and, and just be the right person, then they will have fellowship with God. However, what Jesus desire, desires is not just you partaking of religious activity. What Jesus desires is you to have a personal relationship with him. A personal relationship that is sealed by our confession of him as being Lord and Savior and a personal relationship that is, that is signaled and, and is signed by the precious blood of Christ. Love how Psalm 51 verses 16 and 17 puts it. It says it this way, for you being God, for God does not delight in sacrifices, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Look with me in verses 31 through 34. 
It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Notice with me that this is describing the day of judgment. And this Matthew here kindly reveals three realities about Jesus through this text this morning. He helps us to see that he is our judge or our prophet. He helps us to see that he is our king. And lastly, he helps us to see that he's our priest. Look with me in verses 31 as we see God as being our judge and our prophet. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. So how should we view God? We should view God or we should view Jesus as being our prophet who judges the nations in righteousness. Verse 31. And as our judge, only Jesus can declare us as being either innocent or being guilty before the sight of God. No one else has this privilege or opportunity to do such. Only the Son of Man. Notice with me that Jesus is the only one who is worthy enough not only to judge, but also to sit on the throne and judge the nations. This term, Son of Man, is one of Jesus' favorite descriptions of himself. It is one of his favorite messianic descriptions for himself. And it's a term often used to describe Jesus in regards to his future messianic reign as as God's beloved son and holy son. Notice with me how he judges the nations. He does it quite simply by simply separating the sheep from the goats. And in most agricultural settings, the sheep and the goats often graze together. There would you only be one time of the day that they would actually want to separate them. And that that time of separation would come when the sheeps, when the sheep needed to be sheared or to be tended to in a special way. Throughout the Bible and throughout the, the narrative of Scripture, this aspect of separating sheep and goats was always reserved for God himself. So make no claims about it. What Jesus do, is doing right here is Jesus is asserting himself as being God in the flesh. Look at verse 33, what he says to me. He says, he will put the sheep on his right. He will put the goats on his left. Notice with me not only how he judges the nations. Notice with me how, how he's able to judge the nations. Once again, Jesus is God. And as God, he, is, he has the characteristics of God. He is omniscient, which means that he is all-knowing. He is omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere at the same time. And then lastly, he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. I love this because it reminds us that Jesus' judgment is righteous because he's righteous. Notice with me, Jesus is our righteous judge. Do you notice with me that as Jesus separates the sheep and the goats, he doesn't have to correct himself? As he separates the sheep and the goats, he doesn't have to say, oh, I put a sheep over here near the goats. Let me take the sheep and put it by the goats. Or, oh, a goat went in with the sheep. Oh, let me take the goat and put it with the sheep. It says that he separates them with clear precision. And with clear knowledge, he separates them. 
as our righteous judge. I love this because righteousness means the oughtness of God. For God to be righteous means that God knows what ought to be done in every situation and every circumstance, that God has the knowledge, that God has the ability to know right from wrong, good from evil. And because we have a righteous God, we can trust trust his judgments to be true, to be fair, and to be final. Our God is a righteous God. Judge. He knows how to respond to difficult situations. He knows how eternity will play out. He knows how every situation of your life needs to happen because he is righteous. He doesn't have to think or, 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 or get evidence or have a, a trial in order to indict people. He knows it because he's an omniscient God who sees, sees, sees everything clearly and with perfect precision so that he can make righteous and correct judgment. Do you see God in this way? Do you see your God as being a righteous God? That he knows what he's doing? He knows what ought to be done in every situation of life that God doesn't have to think, he doesn't have to wonder, he knows exactly how things need to work out? He asked me, well, why is this important, Pastor Fields? Well, it's important because I implore you to consider who God is because our view of God determines our pursuit of God. How you see God is how you will pursue him. A lot of us, for the reason we're not pursuing God is because we have allowed Satan to change our thinking to think wrongly about God. Therefore, we don't see him as the scripture calls him and mandates and describes him as being. You need a God who innately knows how to respond to every situation presented to him. You need a God who who doesn't need to accumulate evidence to make the right verdict. You need a God who's the embodiment of wisdom and the epitome of perfection. You need a God who never makes a mistake. You need a God who never has to provide an excuse. You need a God who can enter the storms of your life and quiet them with a single word. Do you see God as such? Do you see God as such? If not, I I call you to confess that before God. I call you to repent that and turn away from that wrong thinking. And I invite you to see God in the glorious way that he's revealed himself in Scripture. See, Jesus reveals himself not only as being our prophet or our judge, but he also views views himself as being our king. Look with me in verse 34. It says, then the king, if you are having your Bible underlined king, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So, Pastor James, how should we view God? Not only should we view God as our prophet, the one who judges the nations in righteousness, verse 31, but we should also view God as Jesus as being our king who graciously invites us into relationship with him. Look with me in verse 34. The king will invite those on his right. 
I love this because it reminds us and it shows us that as our judge, yes, we will be held accountable before God on, on the judgment day. But as our king, we're invited to obtain an inheritance. Look with me in 34b. He says, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Notice with me that an inheritance is given on the basis of a gracious relationship with someone else. An inheritance is not something that is earned or even deserved. It is simply based on grace. Brothers and sisters, our inheritance is based upon our faith relationship with Jesus, uh, having a personal relationship with Jesus, bowing the knee to Jesus, serving and loving Jesus, obeying and following Jesus. We say it a little different here in our church. It's a good reminder for us that we always say that our identity precedes our function, that, that who we are is more important than what we do. This is a constant reminder for all of us in this room because this world uh, and, and, and even church to a certain degree values us based upon what we can do and not based upon who we are. And I love this because here the king invites them into a relationship not based upon what they do. We'll talk about what they did. But here he invites them based upon who they are. They are those who are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. They are the ones who submit and love Jesus and follow him, even sometimes imperfectly, but always faithfully following their King Jesus. It's a good reminder for us that we're not saved because of our service. We're saved, therefore we love to serve. Service is an outflow from our salvation. It's not a prerequisite for salvation. This is the difference between religion and relationship. Religion will always call you to do something for God in order to be accepted by him. Religion will always ask you to fill out a quota before you can meet God, to pray certain times a day before you talk to God, to clean yourself up, to get yourself right before you can meet God. Christianity is the only relationship that God has given us through Christ that we are able, through the acts of another, to enter into the very throne room in the presence of God. And if that excites you, you need to say amen. Our God is good, isn't he? He's gracious and he's kind. He's considerate and he's compassionate. He knows our weakness. He doesn't hold us to standards that we cannot obtain. If he did, then Jesus' death on the cross would be null and void and insignificant. He knows how weak we are. He knows how needy we are. He knows our weakness. That's why he sent Jesus. Love how Ephesians 2, 9 and 10 says it. It says, for we are saved by grace through faith, and it is not from ourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Listen to me. I love verse 10, that we are God's 
workmanship. That word in the Greek literally means that we are God's masterpiece. We are his poem. We are his special project that every single blood-bought Christian has a special purpose in the grand scheme of the body of Christ. Nothing you do or or who you are is not insignificant to God. He loves you, he sees you, and he pursues you. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Listen, I know you may not have been treated this week or maybe even today as God's masterpiece, I know your children may not see you or respond to you as God's masterpiece. (laughs) I know that your spouse may not always affirm you being God's masterpiece. But listen, when God sees you, he sees you as his special masterpiece, his workmanship. It is a special design that God has given to you as a son and as a daughter. And listen to me, you have to fight for this reality every day of your life, that I am God's masterpiece. I am his special creation. And God has given me good works to walk in beforehand. Listen to me. Just listen to me really quick. The outworking that we do in our Christian lives, God has already planned it out. Do you hear me? Though I'm talking to my college students who are worried about what you're going to do and how you're going to live and what job you're going to take. I'm talking to those who are maybe having midlife crisis and you don't know how your life is going to shape out. You're thinking about maybe changing jobs or changing location. I'm talking to those who are in the middle of crises. You have to hear me. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that God has prepared good works beforehand so that you will walk therein. You don't have to come up with good works for to walk in them. God has already have it planned out. What you have to do is maintain relationship with him and a closeness with him, and he will direct you and guide you in how to walk in the goodness that he's already set before you. Again, identity precedes function. Who you are is more important than what you do. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you put on Instagram or on TikTok or Facebook. It's not about how many pictures you have of your kids uh, posted on Facebook or how many pictures you don't have of your kids or your grandkids. Identity precedes function. Who you are is more important than what you do for God. And let me even expand that. It's even more important than what you do for this church. I wanted to save this to end, but it seems like a good place to share it, so I'll do it now. Look around you for just a second. Look around. See the beautiful faces around you. The men, the women, the boys and girls. You know, one of our core values is multi-ethnicity, and it, it warms my heart to see that God is doing that even in our midst. I'm not just talking about racial or ethnic identity. I'm also talking about socioeconomic, talking about cultural Many other facets of God's multifaceted kingdom. This is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful church that God is gathering amongst us. But one of the things as a pastor of this church, I've been asking the Lord is, Lord, who are you bringing to us? (laughs) Who are you bringing to us? And many of you don't know this because a lot of you don't know each other's stories, but I know a lot of your stories because I'm the pastor and usually the pastor gets to talk to different people and get to interact with different people. 
Many of us came here to plant this church two years ago during a global pandemic that severed our church, that's divided our church sometimes, but I think we've grown healthier and stronger as a result of it. It's not always, it's not good, but it's been for our betterment. But one of the common themes that God has used to bring us together is this aspect of needing a place for rest. Needing a place for healing. There are many, even here under the sound of my voice, that you have gone through some very tragic and traumatic experiences. And God has called us here not to do more, but to find our identity in him. Not to become more, not to serve more, not to teach more Sunday school classes, not to have more programs. God has called us here to have a slow down spirituality, to drink deeply from the well that he places before us. Not just taking sips, but to drink deeply. To take your time. To, to refocus and recalibrate our spiritual walk with the Lord. That's who God is gathering in this church. I can't tell you how many families I'm looking at that can, if you can affirm that, just say amen, please, or just shake your head if you don't want to say amen. That's fine. And as God calls us together to recalibrate and to drink deeply, there's a special call that he'll give us at the very end. It's a call not just to people out there. It's a call to one another. It's a call to your brothers and sisters in here. You see, sometimes the church gets so focused on out there that we neglect what happens in here. And listen, nothing nothing greater is going to happen out there before it first happens in here. Walk with me with Acts chapter 2. Jesus tells his disciples to go to the where? The upper room and to pray. What? Pray for the Holy Spirit, right? Pray, pray, pray. Wait, wait, wait. Pray and wait. Pray and wait. How are they praying? They're praying in closed rooms. They're, they're clo- they're, they're in, they just saw their leader, uh, their leader that they were following crucified on the cross and resurrected. And he's nowhere to be seen. And they're fearful for their lives that they're going to be next. And Jesus sends them to the upper room and says, wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And then from there, we see Peter coming out. Peter, remember, who denied Jesus, who acted like he didn't know Jesus. We see Jesus preach a sermon that caused thousands to come to know the Lord. You see, what happens in here, do you get me? You hear me? What what happens in here affects what happens out there. A lot of times we get frustrated with what's not happening out there, but that's not the focus. The focus is what's happening in here. Not just doing, but becoming. Notice with me in verses 35 and 36 what type of good works God has prepared for us to do. So first, Jesus deals with the identity. He deals with the identity of them being sheep. He deals with the identity of them being worthy of an inheritance. Now he transitions to the function. 
of why this has happened. Look with me in verses 35 and 36. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Notice with me, this invitation is not based upon their verbal confession of faith, but is closely connected with their actions. You see, the real evidence of our belief is not just how much we know. The real evidence of our belief is the way that we enact what we believe. So how should we view God? We should view him as being our judge or our prophet, the one who judges the nations in righteousness. We should judge him as our king who graciously invites us into relationship with him. And then finally, we should view Jesus as being our high priest who invites us to serve the needs of the brethren. And as our high priest, Jesus invites us to be involved in the care of one another's needs. I love what Howard Thurman says in his book, Jesus and the Disinherited. He puts it this way. He says, every man is potentially every other man's neighbor. A man must love his neighbor directly, clearly, and permitting no barriers between them. Look with me in verses 37 through 40 as we come to a close. He says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the Lord will answer them, truly I tell you, whenever you did for one of these least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did for me. We have to ask ourselves, who are these brothers and sisters that Jesus mentions here? You know, there's three popular opinions of who these brothers and sisters are. Number one is that they are the nation of Israel. This is the Jewish nation. Those who typically believe this answer believe that Jesus is talking about, the, that Jesus is um, talking about this judgment that comes after coming out of the great tribulation. And those who believe this believe that at this point, Jesus is telling and gathering the nations together and separating from those, from the sheep and the goat, based upon how they responded to the nation of Israel during the Great Tribulation. A second view is that this is representative of all Christians at all times. It's a, it's a global church, if you will. And the third view is this, is that it's the forgotten, it's the displaced, and it's, a, and it's the disinherited. It's, it's anyone who suffers that we respond to them in need. Listen, the main point of this parable is not the who, but the what. The importance of serving where service is needed. It's a good reminder for us that we're called to love every person and to serve anyone we can because our love for God is most clearly seen in our love for others. Let me say that again. We're called to love every person. And serve anyone we can because our love for God is most clearly seen in our love for others, especially the brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice with me, these acts do not, do not depend on wealth. These acts do not depend on ability or even intelligence. They are simply acts freely given and received. As a church, we have no excuse to neglect those who have deep needs. And we should not simply hand over this responsibility to the government or some other nonprofit organization. 
Remember, as our high priest, Jesus demands our personal involvement in caring for the needs of others, especially the needs within the local church, especially our brothers and sisters. So I want to give you two points of application, and I want to show you a, a diagram, and then I'll digress and take my seat. What do we learn from this? What do we grow from this? How, how do we grow? Number two, two applica- points of application to take away. Well, number one, our care for another, one another, reflects our love for God. Our care. Remind you what Paul says in Galatians, do not be weary of well-doing. Listen to me, moms out there, do not be weary in well-doing. Dads, do not be weary in well-doing, caring for your babies, loving your babies, wiping your baby's bottoms, feeding them, holding them, loving them. Husbands, do not grow weary in loving your wives. Wives, don't grow weary in loving your husbands. Friends, do not neglect and think that your friend is just okay. God may have put that person on your mind for a reason. Text them, call them, visit them. So our care for one another reflects our love for him. But number two, everyone is called to show mercy to someone. Everyone is called to to show mercy to someone. This is not something that just happens out there. This is, this is formative for our church, and it's an outworking of our love and our care for God. To close, I want to show you a graphic that hopefully encapsulates our core value of missionality as we go forward. So we've had three different sermons here that talks through the beauty of missionality. We talked about the Great Commission. We talked about the Great Command, and we talked today about the Great Concern. You see, if we only focus on the Great Commission, which tells us to go and make disciples, that helps us, keeps, that helps us to keep advancing and following Jesus. But that by itself is not what's needed. We can talk about the Great Command of loving God and loving one another. But listen, that that in itself only keeps us relational. It keeps us loving Jesus, but it doesn't always works itself out in practical ways. If we just focus on a great command, we could become insular. And we could just say, hey, I'm loving God by loving him on my own. I don't need the church. If we focus on the great commission without the great command, <laughs> we'll be so focused on mission that we'll forget the purpose and the why of what, why we do what we do. And lastly, we're not just always about the great concern. Yes, it keeps us compassionate. It keeps us intimidate, imitating Jesus, but by itself, feeding the poor, clothing, clothing, clothing the naked, visiting those in prison, that by itself is just, it's only social work. <laughs> it's only being a social worker, if you will. And excuse me, nothing against those who do the great work of social work. If you do that, praise God and God's richest blessings to you. But we're not, as church, is not called to be social workers. What you see here is in the middle of Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission combined the great commission, it combined the great commandment, and also 
combine the great concern. And if we can keep these three things in proper perspective, if we can keep these three things in, in, in close proximity to one another, we will as a church be able to, feel, to fulfill the mission that God has given us here to expand his kingdom in South Louisville and beyond. We will be able to be on mission for God. Think with me for a minute. Each one of these three circles are very important and none can be taken apart from the other. If you think of the analogy of a son, you can see the son as being the great commandment. The sun is the source by which we receive energy and light into the earth. And where do we get our energy from? We get it from the great commandment. We're to love God and love one another. That tells us why we are to love God. The great commission shows us how we are to love God. How do we do it? It, it, is, it is not the sun, but it's like the rays that come out of the sun towards the earth. This is like the great commission. It keeps us focused and following Jesus. And then lastly, the great concern is like the warmth. It's what is actually experienced here on earth, right? It's beautiful to see the sun. It's beautiful to see the rays. But if those rays don't affect my daily life, those rays don't mean nothing at all. The great concern are like the rays that, it's like the warmth that the rays produce. And they tell us whom we are to love. Why do we love God? Because of the great commandment. How do we love God? We love him by pursuing his command of the Great Commission. And whom do we love God? Who are we to love God for is the great concern. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you that you are a God who cares for us, who sees us, who knows us. I thank you, God, that you have called us to put our hands to the plow. We praise you, God, that you are a God whose judgment is righteous and it's true. Father, I do pray that you would grow us to view you as you have revealed yourself in the scriptures. Our view of God will determine how we pursue him. So help us to view you rightly as the scriptures have revealed you. Help us, Lord, to renounce any false notion that you are not a good God that you are an ignorant God or you're a God who doesn't care about our everyday life experiences. God, forgive us. We believe, but help our unbelief. Mature us and grow us. Help us, Lord, not to neglect, to be so focused on the needs in our community that we don't look at the needs of our brothers and sisters, even in, under the sound of my voice and even right here um, in this sanctuary. Grow us, Lord, to have and to embody the heart that you have for the nations, even here at our church at Sojourn Carlisle. Help us to drink deeply. Help us to recalibrate our spiritual lives. God, I pray that you would allow this to be a place of healing and restoration and Sabbath rest so that we may join you in the work that you have for us to do here in South Louisville and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com.
backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.